You're listening to Tape Podcast, The Art Of, with me, Raven Smith. I am an author who writes about the absurdity of modern life, and according to some, the funniest guy on Instagram. This is a series telling the human stories behind art. In this episode, we're exploring the art of love. The art of So I have some experience with love. I've been in love with my husband for 10 years. We met offline in the halcyon days of MySpace when people met in real life and didn't know anything about each other apart from what was right in front of them. What is love is one of the most searched questions online. As someone who generally loves talking about relationships and bad Tinder dates, this is a question I've often asked myself. Who doesn't want a bit of love in their life? We all do. Art that shows romance is loved by many and comes in all forms. Sculpture, photographs, paintings, films, queer or straight, the art of love is a language that speaks to us all. Love means different things to different people. From love at first sight to that ex who dumped you via WhatsApp, the various experiences of love have all been expressed through art. In this episode, we'll be exploring some artworks which show infatuation, passion and even everlasting love. Now I see a heart where her genitals are. For me, it shows more than just, not just life force, but the wave of the vibration. Mm. It's quite musical. The L and O stacked above the V and the E. The O tilted slightly on its side, a nod to the erotic. So everything was sex focused, so there's very little about love and relationships. It's kind of this very different form of romantic connection. It's about swiping on a certain day, at a certain time, in a certain mood. You know a lot about them before you turn up on the date, potentially. <laughs> so what is love? We ask visitors at Tate Modern what love means to them. Love is wonderful and it's the best thing in the world because it brings people together and it makes them happy. Love is glittery. Love. <laughs> Not being angry that I have to change the stinkiest diarrhea nappy in the middle of the night. And there's only one person I would do that for at present. That's love. <laughs> I think love's just genuinely caring about someone to the point that where if they're no longer in your life, then you'll feel a sense of genuine loss. Love is a lie. It is something we come up with in our own heads and people often use it against us to manipulate our actions. It's something we allow ourselves to experience because of a kind of social belief that you're incomplete without it. See, I want to go for the happy version. <laughs> um, love is something when you feel connected to someone and they make you feel complete and you're a pessimist. <laughs> you're an optimist. <laughs> Not quite a lover's tiff, but clearly the meaning of love differs from person to person. One of the most iconic sculptures commemorating love was created by American artist Robert Indiana and it's called Love Red Violet. Now, I have not heard this name before, but it is one of the most recognisable pieces of art you'll ever see. If you just Google it, you will be like, oh, 
That's the big love sculpture that everyone talks about and looks at. It's one of those pieces of art that has been used everywhere. Hi, my name's Michael Raymond and I'm an assistant curator here at Tate Modern. We're stood in front of Robert Indiana's love sculpture. It is comprised of four letters, L-O-V-E, the L and O stacked above the V and the E, the O tilted slightly on its side. Lots of people have pondered whether this is a, a nod to the erotic or that it lines up very well with the V, but also very conveniently, the O tilted on its side allows it to be a perfect square. But I'm sure what you're all wondering is exactly how deep is our love here at Tate? <laughs> and it is 1.27 meters deep. And I want to say about three, three meters tall. Robert Indiana himself said, love was a marvelous idea, but it was also a terrible mistake, which <laughs> I think might apply to some people. But it was, <laughs> it, was, uh, it was a work that really became almost too popular for, for Robert. It kind of overshadowed everything else that he, he did in his career. Indiana's love is a square, which is perfect for Instagram. And despite seeming like it might have been designed last week, the history of it is very interesting. It's been researched by a lot of people where the inspiration for this piece originally came from. And it's been traced as far back as 1955, when Robert Indiana wrote this poem called Where the Word is Love. He began conceiving this piece, Love, as a, as a print originally in 1964. It then became a Christmas card for MoMA in 1965. MoMA being the Museum of Modern Art in New York. It completely captured the zeitgeist. Two years after 1965, of course, was the summer of love. You had the Beatles, All You Need Is Love. It was a term that really encapsulated that idealism of the late 60s and the sexual revolution. In 1973, it was produced as a postage stamp in the city of Philadelphia in time for Valentine's Day, which sold a whopping 330 million copies. Um, and since then, it's gone on to, to be reproduced all over the world. There are giant love sculptures in cities across the world in different languages. It really is probably one of the most iconic sculptures of the late 20th century. He saw himself as a, a victim of his own success and the success of love. It really overshadowed almost everything else he did for the, for the rest of his career. He kind of said, and I quote, What have I learned about love? It's a dangerous commodity fraught with peril. The art of. These next artists want you to consider how our sense of hearing, particularly music, affects how we fall in love. This relatable artwork is a film by British artist and filmmaking duo Ian Forsyth and Jane Pollard. It's called... Anyone else isn't you. The title comes from a song of the same name. The video explores how our taste in music influences our choice of lovers. Here's a short clip from the video artwork. Once you find someone that you like, it's almost the first question that you ask them is, what's your music taste? And what does music mean to you emotionally? I mean, if you're a, if you're a kind of musical fascist or fan, or that's kind of the same thing, then... There's certain bands that are just a no-no and that person, they've immediately destroyed any chance of ever being with you by liking a certain band. Having a different taste in music can make or break a relationship. We've all been there. Elise Bell is an arts writer. She's also one of the founders behind tabloid art history. In 
anyone else isn't you, it's kind of this static film portrait of 14 young adults, mm -hmm. um, I'd say in their kind of early 20s, just discussing the very banal, but also electrifying moments of romance mm -hmm. in their lives that hinge around music. So it goes from someone talking about how integral it is that their, their future partner likes the talking heads to, for example, someone talking about how much they hate the talking heads. It's this kind of beautiful interweaving narrative of what it was like to be a young person falling in love or trying to fall in love in 2005, which according to the video was lots of house parties, it seems. So don't have that anymore. <laughs> no, apps have effectively killed the house party. Apps have killed the house party and that's something that I felt was really clear in the film was that that firstly the death of house parties <laughs> but but certainly secondly this this idea of romance and dating being a happening a moment where you meet someone in a kitchen or at a bus stop or on a train and certainly it kind of feels like those moments have been lost in some way mm. with the emergence of dating apps which i think we're all guilty of i mean have you have you used any of the apps um no comment <laughs> i met my husband on the night bus so i feel like a fossil of pre-dating times oh my god when did when did you meet him when did you meet him 10 years ago, Ten years ago. before we had uber be or pre any cash really to be honest pre-uber and pre-tinder so this really is a kind of oh was it was it pre-tinder i think so it feels like an, a long time ago long that i met him then climb aboard the night bus and fall in love you see that that's a that's a really beautiful story it's, some, it's certainly something that you you kind of wish or hope would happen to you i mean i met my partner on on a dating app so it's kind of this very different form of romantic connection it's about swiping on a certain day at a certain time in a certain mood and i think this work certainly contrasts against that current climate of dating well i, I would also say you probably know someone's music preferences before you turn up on the date now <laughs> you know a lot about them before you turn up on the date potentially <laughs> Sometimes too much. Sometimes too much. Do not give anyone your Snapchat details <laughs> from Hinge. You watch as he goes through your CD collection because if there's things in there he doesn't know, maybe he's not right for you at all. <laughs> Watching the video, you get a snapshot into these people's personal lives, almost like they're your friends. They chat about mixtapes cassettes in a pre-digital age that were sent or received from someone they were dating. In terms of modern times, I don't remember the last time I even saw a mixtape. And certainly there's something romantic maybe about making a Spotify playlist mm. for someone, but it doesn't have that same kind of analogue craft that a mixtape has or a vinyl has. Even a CD that you write on in a little kind of permanent marker the different tracks on the cd it's it's not the same and i think you know the black and white nature of this film and almost like the fuzziness of the tv kind of bring brings you back to this early 2000s sort of late 90s era of physically putting things on a mixtape when i asked people about love I was surprised to hear one man say that love didn't exist in his day. He explained that his marriage was an arranged one and there was no room for love. He was visiting Tate Modern with his granddaughter. I don't know the definition of love. When I got married, there was no love. There was no such thing called love. 
My father said, okay, you're going to marry this girl. And that was it. Got married in 1961. In those days, what the mom or dad says, that's it. You have to listen to them. <laughs> no, it's all changed. <laughs> Even in India, it has changed now. But in our time, there was no such thing. No such thing as love. It's all arranged, everything arranged. His granddaughter was listening and had a very different take on love. Well, that was his his experience and what he thinks and I can love him and I respect what he thinks that love is and I have to respect that because I love him. I just think it's about sharing happy experiences and things that you love to do with other people and you can love as many people as you want but there are only a few people that you truly love. Hey there, are you 16 to 25? Want £5 tickets to take exhibitions, free events, creative opportunities and special discounts? Join Take Collective. Make sure you follow us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter too. The Art of For me, one of the stand-up pieces on love is David Hockney's A Bigger Splash, which is in Tate Britain. Hockney is a British artist and seen as a hugely important contributor to the pop art movement of the 1960s. In 1964, Hockney visited California for the first time. This inspired him to paint this artwork. In the painting, you can see a blue LA swimming pool and the splash of someone who's just dived in. It's a kind of idealized gay LA lifestyle. It doesn't have to have any male figures or a suggestion of who's in the pool, but it's sensual and talks of an intimate love not often seen. LGBTQ plus love depicted through art has always been there, but sometimes you had to search for it. And queer artists have struggled to get their work out to a wider audience. This is true of our next work. Indian-born artist Sunil Gupta took photographs of queer couples during the 1980s. It was called Lovers 10 Years On to commemorate my 10-year relationship, which to my peers at the time seemed like a, some kind of record. <laughs> the series includes over 30 black and white portraits of couples living in the UK. Most of the subjects are shown in affectionate embraces. They were mostly the artist's friends in the queer community. Some photographs even include the couple's pets. Others pose in front of works of art in their living rooms or in their kitchens. One of these pieces I discussed with Sunil is called Lisa and Emily. Lisa and Emily happened because Emily was my classmate at the Royal College. I'm a kind of shooter, actually, that kind of photographer background. So I would just take a lot of pictures all the time. But now and then I'd stop and do something more formal. And I thought, I'm just going to take these very direct quite modernist images. They're all shot without lighting. They're very simple pictures in a way. These are people I kind of felt I knew and understood. I was passed on from one couple to another couple kind of thing. They knew each other. So if they, there would have been a Facebook group if there had been Facebook. The entire series is composed of homosexual couples. Two of them are female and, and the rest are all male. The gay men were always particular kind who lived in West London and they were a social network. They were all white, mostly. This is the age group that was just beginning to buy their flats. Lisa and Emily are very different because Lisa is black. 
The project was sparked by the end of his own 10-year relationship. I had gone from being 20 to 30. It had been my first very serious, committed relationship. I didn't think that kind of thing was going to happen to me, so it took me by surprise a little bit. And so I thought, well, one way to uh, mend myself would be to kind of use the camera, which I've done now and then over the years as a kind of therapeutic tool almost. Because I think what happens when you break up with somebody is that you have this tremendous loss of control. When you make pictures, you can kind of regain control or have that feeling anyway. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to find all kinds of lesbian and gay people who are together and maybe it'll give me clues. Maybe there was something I'd missed because I couldn't figure out how. It felt like a failure for me to have broken up at that point. Something, you know, my self-confidence was shattered. This series of images weren't really appreciated at the time. Sunil found it difficult to show them in the 80s. Well, gay liberation had provided us with a political excuse to be anti-family and pro-sex and promiscuity. So, as a consequence, there was no guidelines about settling down or how to engage or carry on a romantic relationship. There was no clear models. And this idea we have today of gay marriage was very far away and not didn't even occur to anybody that that would be possible or even maybe desirable. We'd come out of that whole legal law-changing discussion, which was all very focused on decriminalizing sodomy and sex. Everything was sex-focused, so there was very little about love and relationships. Next on our journey of love is a surrealist painting by the British artist Ithil Colquhoun. Hanging in Tate Britain, the painting is called Scylla and it was made in 1938. The title refers to the female sea monster who, according to Greek mythology, fed on passing sailors. It looks like a channel between two cliffs in the sea. But take a closer look, and the rock formations can also be seen as knees, with seaweed in place of pubic hair. There is also something quite phallic about those two rocks. This was painted at a time when Colquhoun was exploring surrealist ideas such as the double image, The artist said it was inspired by how she saw the body whilst in the bath. As we're walking through Tate Britain, I asked Elise Bell for her first impressions. It's certainly quite phallic, isn't it? Yes. I first of all saw penises. Yep. Two penises. Two penises. But it's actually quite a feminine image. Yes. Yes, certainly. And the kind of the curves and the gentle sea touching these cliffs, phallic, the knees. phallic stones. I think these are the, these are the knees, huh? The knee. Oh, yeah. She's this in the is, bath. This is like a Love Island style shot, isn't it? Kind <laughs> yeah. of. This is getting the thigh gap right in there. It's a thigh. It's a Love Island thigh gap <laughs> rendered in oil paint. Oil paint and and made in 1938. <laughs> Classic. Classic. Uh, actually, the first year of Love Island was filmed in '38. Yeah. I had no idea. <laughs> you know, you, you kind of watch it and you get that vintage sense. You don't can you? tell it's got history. It's romance through the ages. Sharifa <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Energy is a spoken word poet, writer, and member of the South Asian poetry collective, the Yoniverse. How does this painting resonate and speak to her about love? I took Sharifa to see it. I didn't give her any details about it beforehand. I was interested in finding out what she saw and how she felt about it. This is Scylla. 
It's very interesting in the sense that there's a lot going on. The painting kind of merges outwards and upwards as mm -hmm. well. That's quite interesting. Like a fossil, but not a fossil. Mm. It looks like genitals. Yeah. <laughs> so a lot of people have talked about how this painting is like legs in the bath. Two knees, hot dogs or legs. Do you remember that from the internet? Yeah, yeah. So it's a bit hot dogs or legs. Yeah, I can see where you're coming from now because then now you've got the seaweed at the bottom. Mm -hmm. But she's got like spots on her leg. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe she's got a rash. And then she's got like a, a little... A surrealist rash. She still plays with ducks, but boat versions. Yes. In the bath. Yeah, so the piece is based on Homer's Odyssey, a sea witch or sea creature <laughs> called Scylla, who basically guards the passage of water between two places. The more I'm looking at everything changing, yeah. it's quite creepy. It reminds me of in, um, I think, Cornwall or Devon, you've got that, it's kind of like a gateway. In the cliff? Yeah, I've in swum the cliff. Through, I've swum towards that, and my husband and I said that we were gonna pretend we'd swum through it, because it was quite choppy. Yeah. So we didn't quite go all the way, but yes. Yeah. Durdle Door? Yeah, Durdle Door, yeah, 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 that's the one. Yeah, it is like Durdle Door. The more we're unveiling it, almost, I'm more intrigued. I feel like getting closer to it. Oh, let's do it. Almost, like, yeah. My instant impression is there's this juxtaposition of, like, the feminine and the masculine. Yeah. In a way that I saw penises. The first time I saw it, I was like, oh, it's two dicks. Okay. But then it almost looks like a hand, like a hand kind of holding itself together first. Oh, yeah. But now she, it looks like an athletic woman. Yeah, but the boat is very, I mean, possibly could be very suggestive. Yeah. Toys. Just in general. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the famous sex toys of Homer's Odyssey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. It's kind of like labia. Yeah. There's so much because first it looks like an image on the external, but then you look at it a bit deeper and then everything, the angle changes and everything's rotating and it's quite trippy, to be honest. Yeah, I think part of the kind of surrealism of it is that you, it never sits still as one, you're yeah. looking at multiple sides of it all the time and they keep morphing. Yeah. What um, do you think like the, the painter wanted to say with this kind of constantly shifting I want to say reality of the painting because I think in a way you're searching for something that makes sense and it keeps changing. Yeah, now I see a heart mm. on the bottom where her genitals are. Oh yeah, these are like, like what's it called, ventricle, no. Yeah. The, the muscle around the heart. For me, it shows more than just, not just life force, but life as a, in its form of movement. I understand that, you know, it could look like a picture of like someone that might post on on Instagram today, you know, like um, on their island holiday, but at the same time, maybe reflective of an earlier time. That's, mm. that's just how I see it. I'm Indian, so like, I know a lot of historical basis of like even sexuality and other things, they were, they were explored. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't... There's a sort of flirtation between her yeah. and the boat. And I just like the way even the water meeting the legs, like the way it's like vibrate, it shows like the the wave of the vibration mm. of it. It's quite musical. I, I really like this. I'm, I'm actually surprised. Like When I first looked at it, obviously you see something first. And, and sometimes I go around galleries and I don't really, I either don't have the time or to really stand there in front of a painting and really look at it. But mm. it's, it's, it's been quite interesting for me to just really kind of pull it apart. And discover it in real time. It's beautiful. 
Yeah, I really like it. The more I think about it, love and art are very similar. They're almost impossible to condense into one soundbite, into one expression. What really stood out for me was just how much we all experience love in unique ways and all see different messages from each piece. I think all good art reflects something of yourself back to you. Art communicates the complexities of love, how you have been loved and how you love. If you want to discover more artworks which have been inspired by romantic love, take a look at Tate's recent book by Alex Pilcher called Love. From passion and dating to heartbreak and loss, the book explores 500 years of love in art. You've been listening to Tate's podcast, The Art Of, with me, Raven Smith. If you've enjoyed this episode, please rate, review and subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes. Join us next time for The Art of Persona, where we explore Andy Warhol and the role of persona, performance and identity in art. This episode was a Stance Media production for Tate, produced by Katrin Manel, researched by Deborah Sharinde, and executive produced by Crystal Genesis. The Art. Oh.